Good morning. This is my favorite time of year. I like the lights. And dare I say, as an African, I even like a little bit of cold weather. My name's Marcus, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption. And this morning, I am charged with bringing the Word of God. In James, in the book of James, chapter 3, verse 1, James cautions all of us who are pastors or preachers that not many of us should strive to be teachers because teachers of the Word will be judged more harshly. Uh, So what... I am going to do in the next 20 to 85 minutes, I'm choking, uh, I will be judged for. So let us pray that God uses me in a way that he hasn't before, and he tends your heart in a way that he hasn't before. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that you've given us to help us, to guide us, to lead us. Lord, as I go into preaching, Lord, I pray that the study and your Holy Spirit would move in this way, in this moment, in this season of of our lives, um, as you've never done before. Lord, I pray for the hearts that are out and ears and minds, that you will focus them for the next few minutes to hear something that changes their lives. No one came to hear from me. They came to hear from you. So we thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you need a Bible, if you're new with us and you need a Bible, uh, the ushers are bringing them down. If you need one in Spanish, that's your heart language, just raise your hand, we'll get you one. Um, this morning, as Haley so gracefully read, we'll be in the book of 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. We're going to spend time on, on, on just two verses this morning. Uh, My goal this morning is for our congregation to live in a freedom of self-forgiveness and reconciliation, Uh, to move from head and heart knowledge, to move to the point where we understand that God is greater than our hearts. The job of a preacher can be stated very simply, we are to announce what we are to announce what God has already written and said. We serve as heralds of God's word. These next few weeks, as we go through the Advent season, as we anticipate Christmas and and we celebrate the birth of Christ, we are in a series of sermons that we are calling Reconciled. Last week, you know, Pastor Dave preached on being reconciled to God. This week, I am preaching on being reconciled to yourself. Next week, we will spend time learning about how to reconcile with each other. And then the following week, the last week, we'll close out on reconciliation with God's creation. We'll be in verses 19 and 20 this morning. And the phrase that I'd like you to take home with you this morning is this. God is greater than our hearts. Many of you here or many of us here have uttered the phrase at some point in our life that I know God has forgiven me 
but I can't forgive myself. I won't be all you said. I won't be able to forgive myself if this were to happen to me. How many of you have uttered that phrase before? Uh, God has, I know God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. A dear sister in Christ, I will call her Andrea, and I were friends for a few years. And I always wondered what was holding her back in her life. She was a woman, early 40s, but it just seems like she was struggling to get a hold on life. And so we sat down and the floodgates opened. Andrea shared with me some tragedies that had occurred in her life that she could not find a way to forgive herself. She wasn't even sure that God had forgiven her. When she was a high school senior, in the month of May or June, as, as the years are, as the school year was closing out, they were going to different parties to celebrate their graduations. And one night, she was with four friends, and they were in a car. And at some point, she was in the front seat of that car, and she asked her friend, hey, can we switch seats? Because I think you should be in the front seat of this car because you have control over the music. And they switched seats, and they were driving along the highway, and there was an accident. And her friend that she had switched seats with in the front seat of the car was tragically killed. Andrea was in tears at this point. But then she said, she said a few weeks later, you won't believe this, Marcus, but I was on the side of the road with a flat tire. And a gentleman pulled off the highway to help me change my tire. And as he was changing the tire... A car came going as fast as the car could go, possibly, and hit him and took his life. This all happened to Andrea within a few weeks when she was 18 years old. And she had lived for, through her 20s into her 30s, into her early 40s when I knew her. And she was struggling with whether she could forgive herself whether God had seen her in those moments. She would often say to me, I know God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. This morning, as we talk about self-reconciliation, because here's what happens in our minds when things like that happen, when tragedies or we made decisions, some things may not even be your fault, but you carry it as if it were. Because our minds and our hearts are quick to choose one of two extremes in our lives. We either ignore the fact that something has happened and live as if nothing has happened, or we, we, we carry the other extreme where we imprison ourselves and live our lives carrying a burden. Our minds and hearts can either exonerate us falsely or convict us falsely. But there is a third and more fruitful option, and that option is reconciliation. We can reconcile with ourselves, but before we get to reconciliation, brothers and sisters, we must first accept God's forgiveness of us. Forgiveness comes first. I want to look at the problem that our hearts create for us and then we'll work our way through. Are you with me? Let's look at and understand the problem. Our hearts, when I speak of heart, 
I speak of the place, not necessarily the pumping heart scientifically where blood pumps in and out to keep you alive. When I speak of heart this morning, I want to speak of the place where decisions are made, where feelings come out of. That place where when someone breaks up with you, where it hurts. Our hearts have a habit of running to an extreme directions. We either set ourselves up to free ourselves or convict ourselves. We tend to wear our self-exoneration or conviction as a badge of honor when we live ignoring issues or carrying baggage. These are two, self ex- two self-imposed options, have, uh, and, they, and they both have one thing in common. They both, here it is, put us in the center. They put us in the position of Lord, of judge, of jury, of punisher of our own lives. We place ourselves in the position of ultimate power. Our hearts will falsely condemn us and falsely, or falsely vindicate us sometimes at the same time. We have disordered something that is very crucial. We can't forgive ourselves, we say. Here's what we've done. Here's what we've done. We have replaced God with ourselves. Something incredibly sinful and wicked is happening in your heart when you do this. When we self-exonerate or self-convict, we have replaced God with ourselves. It's idolatry and it is sinful. God's forgiveness for some of us has become secondary. It is second to our forgiveness of ourselves. You say, if, if I know God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. In our quest for freedom, we have become unjust, unmerciful, and really cut in a web of confusion and self-centered belief and a behavior. At the root of that, my brothers and sisters, is pride. It's incredibly, sensitive. It's incredibly sinful behavior. Self-exoneration and guilt and self-conviction are rooted in pride. The Bible says something very interesting about our hearts. The Bible says this in Jeremiah 17, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The reformer John Calvin said it this way. He said, Our heart is an idle factory. We keep producing things to take the place of God in our lives. Our hearts can lie to us. If you're sitting here this morning, you say, Marcus, I don't believe you. Tell me more. Well, I'll tell you this. Up on Oracle and Ina is beachfront property. If you don't believe this. And I would like to sell that beachfront property to you. Our hearts can take good things and turn them into ultimate things. We can take shame or guilt and make them damaging things. Our hearts are difficult, difficult to decipher and can't always be depended on to conduct the affairs of our lives. Mark 7, Mark chapter 7, verse 21 says, From within the heart of man comes evil thoughts, come murder, adultery, coveting, and, 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 a, and, a, and a litany of, of, of behavior that is wrong. 
all things, all evil things come from within, Mark says, and they defile a person. So if we cannot forgive ourselves in order to reconcile with ourselves because our hearts are incapable, where do we turn? How do we solve the problem of our hearts? How do we get to the point where we're able to forgive ourselves or, or, or accept God's forgiveness so that we can reconcile with ourselves? There are a couple of ways we can do this. There are a couple of ways through which uh, we, can, we, can, we can move towards trying to solve this problem in our lives. Our current society will say something like this. No one has the right to tell you your self-evaluation is wrong, including God. Our society says, your self-evaluation of yourself, I know that's redundant, but I wanted to make a point, right? I know English. Um, your evaluation of yourself is all wrong. No one can tell you that. No one can tell you that. It's a freedom principle. The only true we continue in our society, the only true arbiter of truth is your own heart. That statement is incredibly naive on one end and very unloving on the other. The self-value framework that's often been handed out by our society does not provide a healing balm to a wounded person. I want you to think of Andrea's story. Is her self-evaluation of, her, of herself correct? Can she exonerate herself? Or can she live her life just in, in, the, in the conviction of what has happened? Is her self-eval correct? Should she feel terrible for the rest of her life, or can she free herself by using her own self-evaluation? Is she in full control? This framework that our world hands to it does not provide a shining light in the otherwise very dark road of self-condemnation. Tim Keller says this. He says, it has nothing to say, this worldview has nothing to say to the self who feels unworthy of love and forgiveness. There's a bumper sticker that I often see that says, be nice to yourself, you deserve it. If you're sitting here today and you are living in a life of regret and you can identify, you can, you can, you can feel that I'm unreconciled with God and unreconciled to myself because of a decision you made recently or years ago, maybe you had the power to bring justice at some point and you didn't. Maybe someone was being bullied and you didn't do anything about it. Maybe someone was treated unfairly in a racist context or you didn't do anything about it or you stood by and did nothing or you did the wrong thing, right? And you have self-selected to minimize your involvement or you self-selected and magnified or maximize your guilt and you're desperately wondering, how can I forgive myself? How can I reconcile to myself? In short, how can I be at peace? How can we be at peace with ourselves and live, as Americans say, in our own skin? There is great news today. God is greater than our hearts. God deals with our sin not by minimizing it or maximizing it, but by erasing it. Our world says one thing. Here is what God says. Here is the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you're here this morning, to hear it. 
Professor Miroslav Volf, probably one of the greater, greatest thinkers when it comes to forgiveness and reconciliation in the world today, he is a Croatian professor at Yale. He said this. He said, when it comes to forgiveness and reconciliation, he says this. It is so crucial to see our forgiving not simply as our own act, but as participation in God's forgiving. Our forgiving is faulty. God's forgiving is faultless. Our forgiving is provisional. God's is final. We forgive tenuously and tentatively. God forgives unhesitantly and definitely. The only way we dare forgive ourselves is by making our forgiving transparent to God's and always open to revision. After all, our forgiveness is only possible as an echo of God, not the other way around. Greater is God than our heart. For some of us, you know deeply that God has forgiven you or me or us, but we need reassurance. If you're in that boat this morning, you need a reminder that we are indeed forgiven. Sometimes the devil, the accuser, will come with his lies, and he will say something like this, and these things will happen in your heart. He will say something like this. Did God really say you're forgiven? I know what you did, or so-and-so knows what you did. It's out there. Everybody knows. You can't take it back. It's a lie. I want you to hear me this morning. When the enemy comes at you with that, tell him it's a lie. I have been forgiven. I was born in West Africa, and a very close family member of mine was sitting in my living room. We had all been through a war. I had as a matter of fact, I didn't know who she was until we found out that we were related a few years ago, probably 10, 15 years ago. She's sitting in my living room, and we had a conversation. And during the conversation, she started to share something that dropped the heaviness on the room that I couldn't figure, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even bear. She said, during the war, when we were all running, and, and the war was happening, bullets were flying, we were always running with just what you could pick up. And we would be like rebels would come and armies are fighting and things are happening and we're running. And she's a teenager and her parents told her, can you hold on to your brother's hand? He's eight or nine years old. And as they were running, brothers and sisters, I can't even tell a story without crying. She lost her brother. Hasn't seen him since. It's been 34 years. She couldn't quiet the thoughts of self-condemnation for years. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what you would feel? It's implied in verse 19 that we are able to live above self-condemnation if we know we belong to the truth. By God's love for us, which is where this passage is situated, we are of the truth. In short, if we belong to Jesus, there is no condemnation. I'm giving you extreme examples so you can see clearly that God answers prayers. He delivers. He forgives even the most extreme situations. 
Some of us sit here today and we feel like, man, I have disappointed God so many times. He's got to be mad at me. He won't even forgive me. So how can I, how can I bring that back on myself and live free? Let me introduce you to a story. If you haven't read it before, I like to call this story Breakfast on the Beach. It's in John chapter 21. It's a breakfast story in the Bible. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, this is after Jesus has been crucified and he's risen, and Peter had, Peter had denied Jesus. He has done something that he's quite ashamed of, right? When, 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 when push came to shove, as Americans would say, when the rubber meets the road, which I love, as Americans would say, Peter said, I don't know Jesus. I don't know him. Can you imagine if, 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 if I get caught and I'm going to die with him? No way. I can't do that. He distanced himself. Can you imagine what's happening in his heart at this point when Jesus is dead and been crucified? And part of the reason, Bob, maybe because he caused it, he's thinking that. There's self-condemnation that's on his heart at this point. He said, man, you know what? I think the gig is up. I'm going to go back to my fishing life. Right? And that's what he does. He takes, the, the, he takes some disciples with him, and they go back to the Sea of Galilee, and they're fishing. like They're, they're back to their normal life. And they're, they're out, the Bible says, about 100 yards offshore, and they're fishing, and they can't catch anything. And then somebody on the shore, somebody on the shore says, hey, why don't you guys come in? That person has a fire and is roasting some fish on the beach. And the person, first the person said to him, hey, listen, you guys, you might want to put the net on the other side of the ship. I guarantee you'll catch some fish there. And when they did it, they caught some fish. So Peter all of, all of a sudden recognizes there's only one person that can say that, and it works. It must be Jesus. And the Bible says he jumps in the water, and he starts swimming towards Jesus, and he gets to the beach, and Jesus has breakfast. And they're sitting there, and, 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 and they're eating breakfast on, on the beach, and Jesus says to him, basically absorbs his self-condemnation. He says, feed my sheep. He said, you're going to live a greater life and you can ever imagine, because I'm going to absorb, I'm going to take it on, right? Jesus is the only person that has authority to forgive sins. Don't you wish that were true for you, that you have, you have, you have submitted to the authority of Jesus to forgive your sins? How do we get to the point where we can acknowledge and believe that God is truly greater than our hearts in this season. Because when our hearts falsely convict us or falsely exonerate us, we're desperate for closure. God is enough. He is the one who made you, and he knows your heart. I want you to take the leap this morning, despite your failures, despite your falls, that he's got you. I have three little kids, and every once in a while, they will stand on the stairs and and I will sit at the bottom of the stairs, and they won't even hesitate. They will just jump. Why? Oh, they trust that dad's going to catch me. Do you feel that way about God? Like when, you're at the, when you're, you're, you have nowhere else to jump, can I just jump into your arms? I know you got me. Right? In that same way, Jesus is saying to some of you this morning, I know you feel a certain way, and you feel like there is no way because you did something maybe last night, or you did something last week that you're ashamed of and you cannot forgive yourself, I have something or something maybe is lingering in your life for the past few years and you haven't been able to let it go, Jesus is saying, go ahead and jump into my arms. 
He is saying, come this morning, there's breakfast on the beach. He will give you life. Be, to be reconciled to yourself because God has forgiven you. And he is the only one who can forgive. There's a story in Mark chapter 2 where three friends bring, bring an, another man of God to, 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 he's paralyzed, and they drop him through the roof and they sit him in front of Jesus. They're looking for healing. And Jesus says to them, your sins are forgiven, <laughs> but I came here for healing. Because there's nothing greater than forgiving sins. And Jesus is the only one that can do that. He says, I have the authority to forgive sins and no one else. If you desire, brothers and sisters, to have a reconciled life, a life where you can be reconciled to yourself, you must first be forgiven and accept that before you can take the next step to be reconciled. A reconciled life with God is the first step. Your heart house will be in order if God is first and you are second, maybe even third or fourth. So that is no unfinished business with God. In this Advent season, as we remember the coming of our Savior, when we, who, came to be, to, who came to reconcile us from God, this is why Christmas is important. This is why Jesus is important, because he's the only one who has authority to forgive sinners. He's the only one who has authority to forgive sins. As they say in the streets, he's the one that rings bells in penitentiary cells. He's the one that sets people free in any circumstances. As we remember him in this season, remember that before you reconcile to yourself, if you're struggling to move over that rock, you're, you're climbing over the wrong rock first. You need to go to Jesus, the horizontal, before you can settle with the, the, the vertical, before you can settle with the horizontal. If you're here this morning, I feel the Lord saying this. I'm just going to say, I know it's sensitive, but maybe if you, if you, if you have had an abortion or if you have convinced someone to have an abortion and you need to be set free, you need to be able to forgive yourself, but you first got to start with God. We will have people up here this morning, not just for that, by the way, not just for that. We will have people up here to pray with you. If you have things on your heart that you would like to be forgiven for, don't leave here today without doing that. I want to make it clear, if you are here and you are struggling with forgiveness and reconciliation, do not leave here this morning without getting that settled with the Lord. God is greater than what you are feeling in your heart right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, we love you. In this season, as we, as we anticipate Jesus Christ, the reason we anticipate him is because he's the greatest gift we ever had, the gift of, of forgiveness of our sins that no one else could do. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We pray that these words are not just words, but they were from you and they will change hearts this morning. And your peace that surpasses all understanding be in this place right now. In Jesus' name, amen.